Thank you so much for joining us this week as Pastor Scraper brings us today's message. As always, give us a like on Facebook at Southern Hills United Methodist Church. And be sure to visit our website at www.shumcokc.org. So you, most of you know that my daughter Megan graduated from high school a year ago. Um, when we got close to the time that she was going to graduate, Kate and I said, hey, we'd, you know, we'd love to take you on a graduation trip somewhere. But the pandemic got in the way of that. Everything was shut down, couldn't travel anywhere. So we put that off for a year. Now, we had kind of suspected that she was going to select uh, Disney as the trip that she wanted to go to. We sort of had an inkling that was going to happen. And sure enough, in January, she said, you know, if things, when things are open again, could you and mom take us to Disney? And so uh, we started putting that trip together. Well, we, we found out uh, a week ahead of when we were going to go that my oldest daughter, who lives in upstate New York, her name is Robin, um, she wanted to travel down for a visit. Uh, I'm supposed to keep this a secret, so I shouldn't say it in front of five and a half thousand people, but she really wants to move down here, and I really want her to move down here. Contact Robin on social media, tell her to move down here. We really want her to do that. So she came down, we looked at apartments, and um, we looked at jobs. She's thinking about transferring to OU, which is where Megan goes to school now. So we're doing all, all of the things, right? Um, so Robin came down with her friend for a week, and then right after that, we made good on our promise to take Megan on a graduation trip, and we took her to Disney World and oh my goodness, if you, uh, if you frequent Disney, you've never been to Disney, I have a few fun facts for you about it. You can look this up. Saw a statistic that said 30% of the people in any room that you're in absolutely love Star Wars. 30% of them. 10% of the people in any room that you're in are fanatic about Star Wars, right? So we go there. Everybody who goes to Disney has a different favorite park. Uh, the Star Wars attraction, which we were super excited about, is in the Hollywood Studios Park, so we spent a day there. Uh, we had a great time, got a chance to ride. The Star Wars area has done so well. This has nothing to do with the sermon, but if you are interested in Star Wars at all, Rise of the Resistance is the best ride I've ever been on in my entire life, right? Some of right, like if you go on theme park rides, you'll find that some of them are, are like one kind of ride, like it's a thrill ride, or some of them you'll get on and there'll be a screen around you and you'll be like riding through the air, but it's all on a screen or something like that. This ride has all of the things and all of the things that were a part of my childhood. I'm going to ruin some of it for you. So like I get on, we go through the, the waiting line, and I guess the whole premise is that we're part of the resistance and they're trying to, to evacuate us from one planet and take us to another planet. So we walk into this transport shuttle, like, you know, it's Disney, so it's, you know, everything looks like it's real. So we walk in, they open the doors on this transport shuttle. We go in, we stand there, and they have these screens where the windows are that make it look like we're flying. It's not real hard or anything. We can stand there. Then they opened the same door we went in, and we were in a different place. And I have no idea how that, like, we opened the doors, and we're standing in a Star Destroyer. There's like 30 um, stormtroopers standing. It was the coolest. Like, I was looking out into space. I ruined the whole thing for you. It was fabulous. Has nothing to do with the sermon today. But if you want to know all the tips and tricks, it was a wonderful time for us. Now, my favorite park is actually Animal Kingdom. Everybody has a favorite park. Mine is Animal Kingdom. And the reason for that is because Disney used to have this uh, animal documentary that they would run at 4 o'clock every day on the Disney Channel when I was a kid. So all summer long... I was glued to the television at 4 o'clock watching this documentary about animals. Every single, I absolutely loved it. So, consequently, I love Animal Kingdom. Animal Kingdom has a couple of things I really like. 
Uh, one of them is not the main tree, but this other tree that's fashioned as a tree house that was made after this movie called the Swiss Family Robinson that was like old when I was a kid. And so if that movie came out when you were a kid, you're really old, right? So it's the attraction's still there. And I'm walking past it, and Kate's like, you want to go on this? And I'm like, I don't want to make it. Nobody even knows what the movie is. And she's like, Matt, you want to go on this? And I was like, no, it's okay. You know, trying. She's like, Matt, we're going. So we go up the tree. I had a blast. It was wonderful. But my other favorite attraction at Animal Kingdom is the safari. And that's because of the documentary. I love animals. And they put you on this safari truck, and they like drive you around the Serengeti, which isn't the Serengeti because it's in South Florida. But still, you're driving around the Serengeti, right? You get to see all the animals in real life. Now, um, altruistic as I was trying to be, you know, kind of, nobody else wants to do this except me. And I'm like, okay, we can do it last. We'll do everything else first in Animal we'll do, we'll do this last. Well, we're going to, uh, this, there's this dinosaur ride where you like get on a Jeep and go back in time and dinosaurs chase you, right? And so we're going to do that. And then we're going to go to the safari. We've been on this dinosaur ride like 100,000 times, right? So we get on the dinosaur ride, we're, we're driving through the Jeep, and it all happens like the dinosaur ride's all inside of this really big, dark, black building. You know, lights are down, but it makes you feel, it, these, these mechanical dinosaurs come out, it's just supposed to make you feel like you're there, right? We're driving in our little Jeep, everything stops, and all the lights go out. And I look at Kate, and I can't see her, because it's dark, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure this isn't part of the ride. And she's like, I'm pretty sure it's not either, right? And then all of a sudden, all the maintenance lights come on, and we sit there, and this person comes over the speaker telling us that something's gone wrong with the ride. They're going to come get us out, right? So we sit there for a while, and somebody brings over a ladder, and they're like, we're so sorry, you know, follow us, super kind. We ended up getting, because we had to walk through the whole ride, we get this backstage tour of what the ride looks like, which was cool and also kind of underwhelming. So we make it out, and by the time we get out of the park, remember... I was being altruistic and humble and not going on the safari ride until the end. We get out of there and they tell us that the power has gone out to half of the park, which just so happens to include the area where the safari is. And they're like, yeah, this hasn't happened in seven years. And I'm like, oh, of course it would happen when I want to go on the safari ride, right? Absolutely love animals. And because of that, uh, I absolutely love Animal Kingdom. Now, I told this story in the first service. And then I went straight into the next story, which I'm about to do with you. Uh, spoiler alert. But at the end of the service, everybody was like, you never told us what happened. Did the light, did the power come back on? Did you get to finish it? No. The power never came back on, at least not that day in Animal Kingdom. Didn't get to go on the safari ride. Uh, huge unrequited dream within my spirit now, so we're going to have to go back just so that I can go on the safari ride. I love animal documentary. Because of that, I've absolutely loved this one movie that came out around the same time when I was a kid. Now, I've taught about this a few years ago. I, I love this movie because there's like no dialogue in it at all, but it's about this bear cub. This little bear cub whose mom dies or something. I don't remember uh, how it starts, but he gets connected with this male Kodiak bear who starts taking care of him, right? And so the whole movie, you would hate it if you, you know, need a lot of action and dialogue, because there's none of that. It's just you're following bears around in the wood. But I loved it, right? And I know because of the Disney documentaries that I used to watch every day at 4 o'clock in the summertime on the Disney Channel, that it's really unusual for a male Kodiak to take on a cub. In fact, sometimes they'll even kill them. 
And so that makes the movie kind of kind of strange, kind of unusual. The Kodiak adopts the, the little bear cub. The bear cub follows it around. The Kodiak protects it. Well, throughout the entirety of the movie, there's a villain. The villain in the movie is this mountain lion. Did you know that mountain lions can grow up to 220 pounds, right? You're going to go home today, and you're going to start inviting people to church. You're going to be like, come to my church, and they're going to be like, why? And they're going to be like, well, you get all the Disney hacks at church, and also you're going to learn fun facts about mountain lions. It's the best place ever. 220 pounds, get this, they can pounce up to 30 feet from a standing position. 30 feet, they can just jump 30 feet, right? So the villain in the movie is this mountain lion, full-grown mountain lion, and he's kind of tracking the little bear cub. But the bear cub is with this big male Kodiak. Now, Kodiak is like a, about one of the biggest of the North American bears. A polar bear is like the biggest. Do you know why I know that? Because I used to watch these documentaries on the Disney Channel every day at 4 o'clock. So the polar bear is like the biggest of the bears, but a Kodiak's like right next to that. So it's a big bear, right? Bears are pretty big. So the, the bear is scaring off the mountain lion who won't go attack the cub because of the bear. Well, there's one point in the movie where the cub gets separated from the Kodiak from the male bear. There's like, it's not any fault of the cubs that he gets separated, but he just gets separated. And the mountain lion picks up on it immediately. It starts to track him. And it's a little while before the cub realizes that he's been thrown to the lions, literally. So he starts running. What do you do? What do you do when you're thrown, when you, when you have that moment of realization that you've been thrown to the lions, what do you do? In 1807, William Wilberforce, who was a prime minister of England, was successful in his bid to end the slave trade. Now, he didn't end slavery. That would come later. But in 1807, he was able to end the commerce-related to the slave trade. Most people who know, if you know of William Wilberforce's name, you probably know him from a movie called Amazing Grace that was about him, or the book written about him that was made into that movie. Uh, Amazing Grace is an old American uh, hymn that's really a British hymn that was written by, guess what, William Wilberforce's priest, who had once been a captain who ran a slave trading the song Amazing Grace is entirely about being rescued out of a life in which you're causing harm to other people by the transformative love of God. So the William Wilberforce, typically known for that, he did something totally different that he's often overlooked for. Because in the midst of the revolution that led to the end of the slave trade, he started a cultural revolution as well. One that you may not even be familiar with. So ingrained was the previous practice, the one that Wilberforce and the people who worked with him changed, that you may not even be aware that it used to be a thing. Here's what it is. It was very common for Judeo-Christian people. I mean, we taught this in our churches to teach other people, to believe that if you were experiencing hardship in life, doesn't matter what the hardship was, maybe you were marginalized, maybe you were, didn't have much money, you're suffering from poverty, suffering from homelessness, maybe you were suffering from some kind of an illness, maybe nobody liked you and nobody accepted you. 
whatever the hardship was you were struggling with, and there could be many more, there was a belief, it was the most common belief amongst Christians of that period and for a thousand years before, because it's pre, it, that belief predates into the experience that Judeo-Christian people had with people of other faiths and religions around, uh, particularly the Arabic world, who believed very much the same thing. What did they believe? That if you were experiencing hardship, it was your fault. You were being punished by God for us, or if you're a part of another religion, by the God or gods, whichever Arabic community at the time they were interacting with, the belief was you're being punished. Your hardship was directly related to something that you did that deserved hardship. So people experiencing hardship, whether it was an illness, or whether it was poverty, or homelessness, or any of the other many hardships that we might experience that I haven't even mentioned, and so if you're experiencing one now and you're wondering if it doesn't count because I haven't mentioned it, it does. Whatever the hardship you're experiencing was, the belief was, that was your fault. You're being punished for it. How does that work itself out today? Because that belief did not change in mass until uh, 1807, until right around that time period when Wilbur, William Wilberforce and his cultural change agents were changing how people felt about a lot of things, one of them being slavery, another one being whether or not hardship was your fault. Sometimes you are thrown to the lions and you didn't do anything wrong. Sometimes you are thrown to the lions by other people because of the action or ambition of another person or group of people. Sometimes you're thrown to the lions by life. Sometimes, now I'm going to change this, so listen, sometimes the lions you're thrown to are other people. And sometimes the lions you're thrown to are life. Now, if you're listening and you're thinking, does that mean I can never do anything that has negative consequences? No, that's not what I mean at all. We talk about that a lot in the church. What I'm saying today is something else. But sometimes when you're thrown to the lions, you didn't do anything to deserve that. Don't be too quick to judge the quality of another person based on their circumstance in life. Don't be too quick to believe, because it's ingrained in you. It goes back through a lot of human history to just naturally want to believe that someone is experiencing, and you've heard it said this way, that someone is experiencing the consequences of their actions. How does that work out for you and I individually today? It sounds a lot more like this. Like when I go into a hospital room, I'll be in there, and this happens often, right? It's happened all throughout my ministry. I've been in ministry for 20 years. It happens all throughout my ministry. Every church I've served, this has happened more than one time. I will walk into a hospital room, and at some point, the person in the hospital room will, will ask everybody else to leave, and they'll ask me to stay. And so I'll stay. And they'll st spend a minute trying to figure out how to say what they want to say. Their eyes will tear up. They will look at me, and they'll say, Pastor, is God punishing me? Am I experiencing this because God is punishing me? I'm about to be able to be more active in the homeless ministry, which I'm super excited about. What I do right now is drive meals around myself on Tuesdays. This was about three years ago. Maybe, yeah, probably three years ago. And I was at the intersection of um, the I-240 service road in Western. 
which if you're not from here, if you're on a virtual campus, pretty close to where we are, where we are right now. And I'm giving meals out to people, stopping the car, going up and talking to them, uh, handing meals to them. And there's a guy. I hadn't seen him before, hadn't seen him since. Sometimes I see the same people. But because those experiencing homelessness are often involved in, in a transient community, transient lifestyle, I'll see a lot of different people too. So I, I hadn't seen this guy. I walk up to him, <clears throat> said, hey, you know, we, we, uh, these are meals made by my church, love to give to you if, if, uh, if you can benefit from it, can I pray with you? You know, we'll just, I'll start talking. People want to talk, we talk. If they don't want to talk, we don't talk. He wanted to talk. He starts crying, and he starts telling me about the house that he owned six months before he was standing on that corner that, get this, was a block away from where I live. And he told me that plenty of people, you know, are, are offering to help. But he said, the comments I hear from windows when people are driving by and they'll roll out and yell something at me out the window, I said, it broke my heart. So in case you've never heard this before, if you're new to the faith or not, I had two conversations with people while I was on vacation who've been connected with our church in different ways, and they were very similar conversations. I love having a chance to connect with people, whether you're here physically or virtually. And so these two people are part of the virtual campus. Both of them told stories to me about getting connected randomly with our virtual campus with Southern Hills, and they're like, yeah, when we encountered your teaching, I said a couple of them in varying ways said essentially this, wouldn't have listened otherwise except I was connected this way, and when I did, I'm glad that I did. And then they proceeded to tell me stories about how much they had been hurt by what people in previous churches had said or done, and it, it breaks my heart. Like, I was not involved in those churches, right? Not that I've never hurt anybody, but I've been, I wasn't involved in those churches. But I firmly believe that if you are, listen to this, if you are in a position of any kind of authority and somebody has experienced hardship or trauma as a result of whatever industry you're in, they don't need to hear you defend the industry. They need to hear that they matter and you care. So I didn't do it to them, but I apologize profusely. God is not punishing you. Because that's not how God does what God does, right? God's justice is different from human justice. In particular, because God's justice is redemptive and healing. Human justice is punitive. That's why it'll be humans or life that throw you to the lions. Don't be too quick to judge the quality of another person based on their circumstance in life. They may not have done anything that led to the consequences that they're dealing with that deserve it. And even if they did, you and I serve a God that is not involved in seeking you out to punish you. You and I serve a God that is involved in seeking you out to rescue you. Let's talk about the difference because that happens in the story. So what do you do? What do you do in the moment? It doesn't matter maybe well, you know, why you're there. Maybe uh, people threw you to the lions or life threw you to the lions and the lions that you were thrown to could have been people or could have been lions. Who do you identify with in the story? I always wonder that. Because I have this tendency to identify with the main character, no matter who it is. Like in Star Wars, it's Luke. I identify with Luke. I hate Han Solo. If you like Han Solo, that's okay. I'll still be your friend. But he's a, he's a moron. I like Luke quite a bit. My favorite Disney princess is Merida. 
So we're at Magic Kingdom, and they've just started parades again, and they're doing the Disney Princess Parade, and Merida is riding Angus at the front of the parade, and if you didn't understand what any of that meant, I'm not sure we could be friends. I'm just kidding. I tend to identify with the main character in the story. Who do you identify? Do you identify with Daniel? Because you're meant to. Except that also while we're telling the story, you need to be aware of the fact that sometimes you're the lions. Do one thing. One thing each day to share the love of Christ with one person in a non-coercive, non-judgmental way. Sometimes that one thing is to let the Spirit of God or the Lion of Judah shut your mouth so that you don't become one of the lions that people have been thrown to. What do you do? When you're identifying with Daniel, you've been thrown to the lions, what do you do? That little bear cub does the only thing that it can do, which is to try to do the right thing anyway. He takes off running. I don't know if you've ever seen a bear cub run. If not, you should watch the movie, because he can't, right? He's trying to run, can't get anywhere. This mountain lion, full-grown mountain lion, who can leap 30 feet in a single bound, is chasing him in the magic of 1990s cinema, you'll watch them try to prolong the chase, right? And so you'll watch as the mountain lion is gaining ground and is almost to the little bear cub. They'll switch scenes and all of a sudden there's like a mile between them again and the mountain lion's still running, right? But eventually the mountain lion chases the little bear cub. Who's running? He's doing everything he can. Running and finds his way to a log that's over a little river. It's not a super deep river, but the current is strong. As he's running, he makes his way onto the log and starts backing onto the log. You can see where this is going to go, right? He's backing his way onto the log, trying to look around uh, if you have pets, you're a pet lover, you know that when you look into the eyes of an animal, you can see what's going on inside of them. We have four dogs. Two of them are stupid. One of them is great. One of them tries to be super intimidating, can't be at all. But when I look into their eyes, I know exactly what they're feeling. And I'm convinced they know the same. You're looking at this bear cub's eyes. He's terrified. He's looking around, trying to figure out what to do. He knows he can't go off into the water, almost slips, grabs himself, starts to stabilize himself. But you look into the eyes of the mountain lion, and he also knows. He knows this is his moment. He's got it. This is his time. The bear cub is backed into a corner, and he starts stalking out. And you can see almost that kind of crude satisfaction in his eyes. The bear cub doesn't know what to do. So knowing that he can't give up, he does the only thing he can do. And in spite of the fact that it is an insignificant gesture, he pulls himself up to his full height, bares his teeth, and starts roaring at the mountain lion. Sounds a lot like my little Yorkie when she thinks she's a Great Dane and tries to bark at everybody. It's not intimidating at all. And the mountain lion knows it, Right? Kind of gets a smirk on its face. And then the look on his face changes entirely. What do you do? When you realize you've been thrown to the lions, what do you do? The answer to that question is to do the right thing anyway. Do the right thing anyway. Pastor, what is the right thing? Every time I hear a minister start talking about the right thing, I get concerned because half of those stories I hear from people who encounter me as a result of uh, the teaching that we put out on our live stream have been told some pretty awful things when we start getting to the conversation about what the right thing is. What is the right thing to do? If you don't hear anything else, hear this. 
the right thing to do is to continue to love people in the same way that Christ has loved you. Proactively, sacrificially, unconditionally, non-coercively, and non-judgmentally. Do that even when it's hard. Even when you've been thrown to the lions. Even when people have thrown you to people who are the lions. Love them anyway in the same way that you've been loved. Pastor, how can I do that? You've got to start by allowing yourself to be transformatively loved by Christ. I say that in like every sermon, so go back and watch the other ones. Love people anyway. Because it is in the midst, even though it seems futile, even though the odds are stacked against you, even though it seems like nothing is going to happen as a result of that, you will be surprised at what God does through the meager offering that you bring because while you've been doing the right thing, what, what does the bear cub do? Tries to run anyway, backs himself onto a log, rears up, tries to roar, probably the whole time thinking to himself, if only the male Kodiak bear were still around. This wouldn't have happened. Where are you? I would imagine you've been thinking some version of that, right? And somebody may have told you that God abandoned you because of something that you did. I'm sitting in my office. One of my early appointments was in Stroud, which is a small town between Oklahoma City and Tulsa. There's a stretch of Highway 66 that runs through there. It's kind of perilous, uh, it kind of weaves and turns. There's an intersection around there. There's a lot of accidents. We had one, one of the years I was there, in which a local high school girl lost her life. She wasn't a part of our church, but because it's a small town, everybody knew everybody. And so the funeral was at another church. I didn't attend that funeral, and I'm sitting in my office that same day when that girl's third grade teacher, who was a member of my church, comes into my office. And she's distraught, as you know, everybody is in a circumstance like that, but she's distraught. And she starts telling me about the funeral. In which, as a part of the sermon, I've never believed in trying to proselytize during a funeral. I think that's the wrong time to do that. But in the midst of the sermon, the minister said, that that would not have happened to her if she had been a better person. And so this, this teacher comes into my office and is like, is that true? And of course I said, absolutely, it's not true. I'm so sorry that you and everybody else had to hear that. Because it isn't true. You may be in the midst of some kind of hardship thinking to yourself, where, where is God? Where are you? If you were here right now, this wouldn't be a problem. Didn't you promise not to abandon or forsake me? I think I heard something about that at some time. Where are you? And you, I'm going to take this one step further, because you may, that may be where you are right now. You may also have taken that hardship to somebody in a position of authority like me or the person sitting next to you in a pew somewhere who had no authority but was the only person representative of Christian love to you who told you that it was your fault. That is not true. Sometimes God is waiting in the place where God knows that we're going to end up. The face of that mountain lion just changes and he gets terrified. And some of you heard me teach about this before, you know where it's going. Others of you are going to rush out and watch this movie. It's not that good. Like I've told you all the good parts. It's really not that good. 
but the, the camera pans out. The little bear's roaring, it's pathetic, but the mountain lion's now terrified. The camera pans out, and that Kodiak is standing right behind the cub in the stream, in the water, up on his hind legs, roaring as loud as he can at the mountain lion who runs away. Sometimes, even when events are set in motion that cannot be changed, you still serve a God who has promised not to abandon nor forsake you. Sometimes God shows up in the place where God knows that we're going to end up. And you'll be there, and you'll be thinking, God, I didn't do anything wrong, like Job, right? Job's like, I didn't do anything to deserve this. And his friends are all like, well, you must have done something, and you just don't know what it is, because bad things only happen to people who deserve it. That is not true. It's not how the world works, and it's not how God works. Sometimes God is waiting in the place where God knows that you're going to end up, and you'll be there thinking, God, I didn't do anything wrong. And God will look back at you and say, I know that. Through you, in this place right now, I'm about to do something right. The story of Daniel and the lion's den is about an entire nation full of people who have the opportunity to get to know God because of the story they heard about Daniel. Not to be coerced into it, not forced into it. Just the opportunity to hear, did that happen? Yeah. Maybe if that happened, this is real. Maybe I should give that a little bit of time. Maybe I should sit down and see if any of this is real and see if what I have been hearing matches up with the experience that I have of God. If you have been, I'm going to say this because I had all the conversations on uh, vacation about it, and I'm glad to have them. You've been hurt by the church. You've been hurt by people in the church. We have a reputation for that. And it's a reputation that I sincerely hope changes. So let me start here. Let what you believe about God come to be a result of your experience of God. King Darius's belief about God changes because of his experience of God. Not of what other people said about God, but of his experience with God. Why? Because what you're going to find is that you're loved by a God who loves you proactively, sacrificially, and unconditionally, whose justice is different from human justice. Judgment without complete knowledge and perfect love is always going to be unjust. That is why that's not how God's judgment works. And God's judgment and justice are for the purpose of rescuing and healing, period. What does all that mean? It isn't your fault. And wherever you are right now, whatever hardship you're dealing with, you are not unknown and you are not alone. Would you pray with me? Thank you. Thank you for being a God who waits for us in the place where we will need you the most. Who steps in to do what we can't do. Who heals what we can't heal. And loves what we have been told is unlovable. 
God, I just want to lift up everybody today who has been told that they are a mistake. Pray that your Holy Spirit would fill them and confirm within them that they are not, that they're fearfully, lovingly, and wonderfully made. I want to lift up everybody right now who for the first time today, in listening to this story, realized that they are the lions more often than they're Daniel. Because that realization is hard. And I pray, God, that you would descend upon and within them to love them in a way that they may never have been loved before so that your love can start to heal within them. Whatever has caused them to feel a need to be judgmentally oriented toward other people. I pray for those who are wondering if any of what I said today is true because they've heard so many different things in so many different places. Because the way that's true is going to be confirmed in the same way that your presence in the story of Daniel and the lion's den is confirmed. That comes through you. So God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill the people that are listening today and any time after today that they may encounter what you're offering. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would heal within us what needs to be healed and that you would give us courage so that we are not afraid, so that we're not afraid to embrace your love, so that we're not afraid to allow your love to transform us, so that we're not afraid to reach out to other people in love even if we've been taught that that's not what the church is supposed to do, that that's not what Christians are supposed to do. God, I pray that you would continue to heal us so that through us, your love will make a difference that matters in the world that is around us so that even if we find ourselves in a place of hardship, even if we find ourselves thrown to the lions and we didn't do anything to get there, we don't think we did anything wrong, We can be ready when you say no, but I'm here and through you I'm going to do something right. Something good. Something healing. And something that will last. As we ask in your holy name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Be sure to tune in again next week. Thank you.